Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I am Kyle Preslinski. I'm Jeremy Duvall. And I'm Matt Croger. Welcome everyone to the show for the first of our month-long coverage of the upcoming Clash of Kings 2022 supplement, which at this stage we believe is due to be released in early November, but we've got the man, the myth, the legend, Cole Przelinski with us to uh, take us through some of the logistics and the process of it, and then we're going to talk to you about five favourite changes from the upcoming supplement. Uh, So, Kyle, thanks for joining us today at the end of a long Monday for you. We're almost to the finish line. I mean, it's been a pretty mammoth process the last six months. Not only has it been a new Clash of Kings supplement, but there's been the Halfling Army as well as a super secret project going on testing. Um, how's the process been for you? Talk to us a little bit about it. It's really intensive. And and yeah, thanks for having me on. As always, guys, I, I appreciate doing this. It's it's exciting to be on any podcast, but Countercharge is always a blast. You guys are great. The process of, of doing the design and everything is 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 a lot more intense than I think most people realize. It's more intense than I realized because I I wasn't, you know, in the design stuff uh, at all to uh, you know prior to this project. So I didn't see what the rules committee was doing behind the scenes. I didn't know what uh, you know Matt Gilbert and the studio's design direction was until really the start of this year and and when all this started and and, and all of the ideas were going into it the amount of work and the amount of back and forth that goes into it is is just mind-blowing the the effort that the rules committee puts together is monumental I, I i can do nothing but applaud them everyone should should genuinely appreciate what they do for for the game and for everyone because there's just countless questions countless scenarios that come up and and constantly kind of going over and over things that could go wrong or go right and the voting and, and the back and forth, it's a, it's a stressful process. You know, these are people that you consider friends and sometimes there's disagreements that come up and it's it's a it's a lot of work and it's a lot of time and it's not something that's a nine to five thing. You know, we've got people all over the world and it's a it's a daily process that your discord is just dinging and dinging and, and you're seeing notifications for uh, different subject matter and and it's all over the place. It, it's really, really intense and it's good, but it's exciting because obviously everybody is very passionate and involved. So it's a whirlwind, but man, is it a blast. Yeah. And I think um, that's really important for everyone to understand. I, I really didn't understand it well. And we're going to have an, we're going to have an episode about the process with some play testers and, and rules committee later in our, in our um, coverage of Clash of Kings this month. But I think setting the scene for people, what they can imagine is that, you know, you've got this group of tens of play testers. I think it's about, I don't know how many it was, 40, 50, something like yeah. that. And every one of those people being able to provide feedback to one group of people which is the RC. It's just a mammoth task. Like It, it is mind-blowing. The RC represents the sort of idea of Kings as a, a global game, right, where you have members of the RC from England and from UK, from Australia, from United States. And I think you had playtesters from the different regions too. What was that like, Kyle, of seeing the playtest data come back and to hear different perspectives from different uh, geographical areas? You know, I, I think that Every area has different metas. You know, we're, we're pretty familiar with that. We know what certain areas like to do, and that's a good thing. Um, you know, we, we specifically asked for some new groups to come in for that reason. Uh, you know, internally, when the Rules Committee was discussing that stuff, we, we wanted to expand this because we knew that the book was going to be a larger book, way more changes than when we were used to. And with that, you kind of want to make sure that you get different perspectives. So... When a, when a report comes in and you get conflicting feedback, you know, if, if one group says that they like it and the other group says that they don't or maybe this is fun to play against or it's fun to play with but not against uh, and, and you get conflicting information, you, you need to kind of find a trend and you need to kind of take a look at, well, these guys come from from this experience and maybe this is what they're thinking. You know, it, we, we know in the U.S. there's certain regions where 
Blinton in, in the South. Uh, we saw a tournament this uh, past weekend where like there wasn't a single elf list in the entire thing. There was no goblin shooting. So it, it's it's all very different, but it, it's very important to understand that every single region has a very viable response that they're given to you. But at the same time, you can kind of take it with a grain of salt where if, you know, these guys are talking about terrible shooting in one place and you're getting feedback from a region that is dealing with terrible shooting all the time, that one can be a little bit more viable, you know? Yeah. And I think that becomes pretty obvious, doesn't it? That there's those regional differences, um, you know, across the globe um, pretty quickly. And, and it must be really tough to sort, to sort that out. You know, yeah, you want to pay attention to, to everybody, but it's it's yeah. it's hard and knowing what every single group is sort of known for and, and good at and, you know, can bring to the table. Uh, it really sort of helps you understand what's going on. So uh, use the strengths of each of the areas. And, and it's really great to have the diversity that we do in, in Kings of War, not just with the players and the player base, but the kind of, you know, games that are played because of the different, you know, I don't want to call them cultural differences. It's it's different uh, regional differences within the game. It's it's its own culture sort of thing. Yep. And I, I just with your like, because obviously I'm assuming um, like you don't get as much involved with the playtesting as much. So and you've talked a little bit to Rob about this, but it was amongst all the masters stuff. So some people might not have heard. Spe- specifically, what's your role amongst the eight um, with dealing with the RC now? Mine is mainly to work with the direction from Mantic uh, and and what we're doing with either new releases or current releases or old releases and how they match up within the scope of the game. Now, what that might you know translate to in some people's ears is, uh, oh, well, Kyle's just going to make all the stuff that Mantic makes better. And that's that's not exactly the case. We want to make sure that everything is as viable as possible. And, and obviously, Kings of War is a huge game for Mantic. So we want to make sure that, uh, someone at Mantic that knows the game, uh, plays the game with regularity can, can be inside on the rules committee and knows what's going on. Um, I didn't do a tremendous amount of, of rules design. I did do some things, but for the most part, it's, it's communication. It's making sure that they know what, what direction we want things to be, to be going in and, uh, just sort of making sure everybody's on track with that, uh, deadlines for when stuff was going to be due. Um, if we wanted to push things in a certain direction, you know, what, what sort of direction we Mantic wanted the game to go into, I could lead in that sense. Uh, and then really they took it from there. And I mean, it makes sense, right? If you're working on, um, designing units or whatever, to have a concept of where the, where's the model range is going, you know, where is the, the studio design going in that, I don't think it's sacrilege to say that the models you sell, you want to have them use the word viable in the game, right? You don't want things that you're coming out with a brand new kick-ass model to be super undertuned, are are not fun, or doesn't have that sort of thematic flair or whatever. So I know, I imagine that the the RC themselves have been uh, happy to have you in that at least they they have sort of a contact at Mantic that they can go to and get see what models you guys are developing or whatever, so that the the RC and then the model design you guys can all be on the same page. Yeah, yeah, we we talked about it a bit. Um with Pat at masters on that last episode, but you know, it, it was important to Pat that the halflings had a, a mounted option for a saucer and we didn't have one in the design process. So Pat was able to come forward, say that that was something that they wanted. And, and just because of Pat's push, like there's now a model for it and, and we've seen it, you know, it's so it, there is that relationship of back and forth between what the rules require and and then obviously the other way around what the models require rules wise yeah that's great to know it's a um it's a two-way process do you do you find yourself having to basically just say no just no very often you know particularly (laughs) to matt james (laughs) (laughs) no it's it it's not that bad it really is um i i can't imagine i think that throughout the entire process there might have been one or two instances for things that came up that I was like, "Mm, that's, that's not going to work. And that's a good thing. You know, when, when we talk about certain things that need to happen change wise, it's, it's so important that they vote on it and they know the best outcome based on that vote. And I, I play more of a tiebreaker role, you know? So if, if the six of them 
are completely deadlocked on something, then I can say, eh, well, this is what this is really the direction that Mantic wants. So let's let's do this. But I don't step in unless that's necessary. So I really try to let the rules committee do what they do. Uh, it's it's not my show. It's not done that way in any way, shape, or form. It's it's really up to them to come up with the right decisions, and and they they can really kind of sway each other and and bring up really good points and do great debates. So you know I trust them. Uh, Matt James, being the head of the rules committee, he he leads things very well. Uh, he makes sure that everyone's on schedule, on task, and you know is very organized and all the you know different outlets that we have for all of the information behind the scenes. So I, I have nothing but good things to say about them. They really do keep a great lid on things and are doing a great job. I think my sense has been, and I mentioned it previously, that even if everyone that I play tested games with or RC members that we've talked about during the playtest process, even if some people may have different ideas on how to get from point A to point B, or maybe a little different ideas on how to balance the game or whatever, I think everyone involved truly cares about what the end product is going to be and truly cares about the longevity and the health of the game. Um, was that, was that your takeaway too, from working with various different people who were working on testing the game? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, when, when we saw posts come up, uh, that had a battle report and, and uh, you guys saw it as well as play testers yourselves. Sometimes some of those posts would just start into this, you know, big thread, just like it's fanatics. And all of a sudden there's these back and forth of of comments and conversation. But every single person wants the game to be better to be the outcome. You know what I mean? Like that's that's the ultimate goal is that we we are putting out the right product at the end. And even if people don't agree on something, it's still an effort to get to a point where, OK, this this is now workable. This is the right thing, you know. Yeah, and I totally think that care is um, shown in, uh, I mean, most people won't ever know it, but there were some pretty big changes that were dropped really early on because we because we realised, and particularly the RC realised, that there is just no way it could be balanced well enough in the timeframes. And some things that would, like, do those goals, overall goals of injecting flavour and things, but, like, the care for the game was taken first in that, no, we just can't do that in time. So let's just concentrate on the stuff we can do. And and that was part of the direction. You know, we, we specifically said we want to shake things up. Don't don't be afraid to come up with some crazy ideas. And and from my perspective, the, the best way to go about that is is to push it too far at the beginning and then trim the fat and kind of go back from there. Um which is exactly what happened. And, and that's, that's, that's good. If you don't push it far enough, then you end up, you know, towards the end pushing things too far. And then all of a sudden it might get away from you. So we definitely tasked the rules committee with, with, yeah, get a little crazy. Show us, show us some, something we don't expect. And in some cases, uh, yeah, that was taken, taken back and taken away and, and cleaned up. So it was a good thing. But like you said, it's better to start off with like the full bouquet of ideas and then are like, it's like, you, uh, Mr. Miyagi, you have the bonsai tree, right? And you slowly start <laughs> snipping away yeah. the little bits and pieces so that by the end you have your perfectly formed bush. Uh, tr- tr- trust you um, trust you to come up with a sweet, sweet metaphor. Well, Jeremy. thank you. That's why they yeah, pay yeah. me the big bucks. A lot of people <laughs> don't know that I actually went to school for animation and I was taught by uh, Disney animators. And in that process, they they go over, you know, specific principles of animation, that sort of thing. And one of them is is to push, you know, push the animation, go over the top with expressions and poses and and really make it as exaggerated as possible. But then uh, typically you do end up dialing it back because if you don't go far enough, it's just it's not interesting to watch. So, yeah, that was kind of my thought and approach for for the whole clash of kings in the first place is let's let's do some exaggerated things and then if it if it's too much then dial it back because kings of war is is, it's a balanced game that needs to be uh competitive at its core and i know we'll probably touch base with matt when we do our playtest episode but i remember that first day that the pack got released to the playtest group it was like (laughs) oh my god Ah!" it's like like (laughs) chaos the world started spinning backwards dogs and cats living together mass hysteria (laughs) you know it was just insanity intensities yeah because we had yeah 
Yeah, we'll go into that in a different episode, I think. But like back to what you were saying, Kyle, it's you, you've really got to see what what you're capable of, don't you? You know, by dialing it up. And I think a lot of that, that's even, you know, that's a lot of art, right? You even see it in painting. People are often, you know, go bang, let's go as loud as we can be, but then might bring it back a little bit to make it, you know, or they don't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a concept car for a vehicle that comes out, it looks amazing. It's it's like, wow, that's, that's a super cool car. But the time it actually comes out in production, it's like, oh, well, yeah, it's yeah. new. Oh, it's a, oh, it's a Prius. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, as far as timeline, uh, what are we looking at as far as uh, physical release? Are we going to have a digital release as well? What can you tell us about uh, actual release dates? So, I mean, we do think... Early November is is the shot. Um, and I say early November as opposed to a specific date, just because it, everything with COVID is questionable and and we're still dealing with logistic issues and, and problems. Um, everything's on time, you know, it was all turned in on time. The testing ended when we exactly planned it. We're pretty much giving feedback in complete minimum cases now. The the book is going to lay out extremely soon, and and it basically lay out print and then ships to us. But uh, you never know when some crazy thing where all those books are going to be sitting out on a shipping container in the middle of the water, stuck in the port somewhere, and can't get in. We are on schedule, is what I'll say. Uh, the world could always throw you a curveball. So the plan is early November. There is a plan for digital release, of course. Uh, we, we, we've kind of followed the, a structure where the physical product will come first. Digital will come maybe, you know, a few weeks later, that sort of thing. And I know a lot of people are going to be interested in Easy Army. Obviously, we need, we've uh, got information to Greg already started that process of him kind of being ready for what all is going to be changed. Uh, and we want the subscribers to be able to get the stuff right away. So uh, if you subscribe to Easy Army, you should get the updates. But there's a lot in the book that isn't just uh, going to be stat changes. So, you know, keep that in mind, too. And if you don't subscribe to Easy Army, shame on you is all I have to say. About that. <laughs> shame on you. Well, but but it's it's nice to hear that you that Mantic's delivering on that. Right. Because that was that was always the idea of of subscription is that you got something back. For, for subscribing so it's good to but yeah it's gonna be super tough for greg you know you you want to try to give him as much time as possible to to get on that and and obviously as soon as we were able to give him something he can get started on it all right well let's take a break and when we come back we'll do our top five favorite changes from clash of kings 2022 hello this is duncan rhodes from the duncan rhodes painting academy and i hope you're about to apply a second thin coat just there whilst you're listening to counter charge this is Paige from Singapore with the YouTube Battle Report channel Newbie Dice, and you're listening to Zanshen Fanji. And we are back. Okay, so really excited. We uh, are going to be doing our top five uh, sort of overarching changes of the 2022 Clash of Kings pack. And we will be looking at a little bit more stuff in detail as the, the month progresses in regards to our previews. Uh, but we do have a couple little juicy tidbits to share with you guys in our top five. So what we're going to do is we're going to start at number five, and we're all going to go our number five, and then we'll go our number four, et cetera. So why don't we start with you first, Kyle, as our illustrious guest. What is your top five favorite change? Well, it, it's it's a pretty simple one, um, and this is definitely a, you know a mantic direction. Uh, Titans are going to be getting some some new special rules, in particular a pair of special rules that are going to help them out, just kind of make them a little bit more threatening. These are big centerpiece models that uh, when when the switch from the fifty millimeter base that you know mo monsters were on happened and went to Titans, uh, a lot of people were like, oh, because the monster base is so appealing. And then, you know, you go to the Titan base and and as they are now, they just they don't they don't really do enough. You know, they, they've they've got pretty good nerve. They've got good defense, et cetera. But let's let's make them actually more threatening for what they are. So, you know, things things like the giant, um, even dragon types, they're going to be, you know, dropping in points just a little bit marginally to make them slightly more, you know, appealing to take. Uh, I, I think that the new special rules, which aren't exclusive to Titans, but pretty much you're going to find them all over the place, uh, are going to really help. Yeah, that 75 millimeter base, until you play with it a while, you don't realize just what you can't do, you know, as opposed to that 50. Um, so that's cool to hear them that they're going to be getting tweaked. What about you, Matt? What's your top five? So Number my five. 
My number five is spellcaster levels becoming relevant. So we've seen since the release of third edition that you see all these questions on Fanatics, right? What does spellcaster level do? What does it do? And at the, until now, it hasn't really been, you know, anything. But in Clash of Kings, it is going to mean something. Um, and so that might be uh, through being able to take certain things or being able to purchase more powerful versions of certain things. So I really enjoy how that is now becoming relevant. My top, my number five, uh, it's something that we've already talked about uh, um, in the master's coverage, if you had had a chance to listen to that, is the change to inspiring. And that now if you had any form of inspiring, whether it's inspiring only X, Y, or Z, it's now just blanket inspiring. And I think this is really interesting as far as army construction and saw this a lot in playtest games. Of oh, being, it's huge. Yeah, being able to take what you want in different flavors and, you know, maybe not use the BSB anymore, which is fine. I'd much rather have a more interesting character giving me inspiring than some basic dude anyway. So I think that that has been a really uh, interesting thing to affect army building is the fact that so many more things now give you inspiring. It's it's list variety. I mean, that's it's 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 a huge change, in my opinion. I mean, it's a simple one such a simple one but all of a sudden you know we're going to see so many different list options because of how that changed yeah it's really hard to understand it in the abstract it's when you start making army lists that you begin to really see oh okay i get i get this This is really cool yeah and kyle so what about your number four well this is going to hark back a little bit more on what you were saying uh but magic in general has got quite a bit to it uh there's there's two things in particular so i'm gonna cheat a little bit there's there's new arcane abilities that allow you to do some fun new things. So one of those is something called Incantation of the Tempest. And what it is uh, is is basically a little 10 point upgrade that you can you know purchase if if you want. Uh, but what it does is allow you to roll a single die before you cast any spells. If you are successful and roll a four plus the casting model can then reroll any misses on spells that it casts for that turn. If it's not successful, you're instead disordered and can't cast any spells for the remainder of the turn. So it kind of gives you uh, a super effective, you know, if you, if you do get that four plus, then you can reroll everything. Uh, and that that's fantastic. But if you miss it, then you're, you're kind of boned. So it, it, it's a nice little gamble thing that you can do. Just a little bit of extra fun. And the second one would be uh, the fact that there's an arcane library. So similar to previous Clash of Kings, um, there's a whole library of spells that everyone's going to be able to choose from. And in some instances, there's spells that we we know, you know, but uh, maybe could be more beneficial. I remember, uh, you know, Brian Tucker being very concerned that he he couldn't deal with a lot of the shooting that he was dealing with in, in the southeast. And, you know, wouldn't it be nice if something like Veil of Shadows was available to everyone at any point? So you can take it. Uh, it does have a limit on it, but you can take it and you can and bring it into an army, even on a caster that doesn't have it. Yeah, and I think that's important for um, some of these changes, too, is they give you options to change your meta. Right. And so, like you said, Veil of Shadows is now purchasable if you are turning up to a tournament where shooting is heavy. And so if that's happening to you time after time, well, then Veil of Shadows might become a staple in your army list construction. And that was specifically the idea is that it was it was an option that was available to help balance things out. Great. Well, my uh, my number four and everyone strap yourselves in because this is big. There's been a lot of debate over this is that formations are back. And I'm going to give you a, a formation example. So one thing that's been uh, tweaked compared to formations last time is that I, I don't think people should ever should necessarily think about formations making perceived bad units better, but maybe that they're slightly underutilized and we want to see them on the table. Um, the other tweak is that um, previously they just had a total cost for formations, whereas now when they're writing their formations, they're giving you the cost per unit as well, um, so that when you're doing attrition scoring in a tournament, you know exactly what you've taken off, which is good. So no longer do you have to take off, you know, the whole formation to get the the bonus points for the attrition score there. Um, but I'm going to give you the example of the Royal Guard, if that name remains, um, for the dwarves, uh, and it's got 
two regiments of bulwalkers at 15 points per unit, uh, a horde of ironclad at 20 extra 20 points, and the Lord's Bannerman, which is a standard bearer for an extra 30 points. And all units in this formation increase their melee value to three plus and increase their nerve by one. And the Lord's Bannerman gains the very inspiring and aura elite melee infantry only special rule and increases the nerve to 1113. But they may not purchase a magical artifact. Uh, so total cost there is 80 points. So it's a pretty pricey one. But what you see is that the dwarves go from being just a, you know, just an anvil that people crush against to having a little bit of offensive value, which I think means we're going to see more dwarf infantry on the table. So, so I love that change. And I love that formation. What do you guys think of formations? Yeah, it gives you a chance if you want to have offensive punch in a dwarf army to get it from something that's not Brock Riders or like shambling earth elementals in the flank. Or you shooting. Know? Or yeah. shooting, right? It gives you yeah. an option that if you want to have some some um, units. And I mean, I'm a fan of, I think phalanx units in a regiment can be pretty interesting as objectives sitters and lots of other stuff so that's one of those formations that gives you a lot of um you could do different things with it depending on what your play style is and i'm all for like variety of play um so i think it's a it's expensive but you're getting i mean uh elite is it's that's a lot of attacks you're getting that elite on in that aura so and it's it's something that uh, even though it's expensive i mean it's it's making you think about it you can still take the cheaper option and take the infantry as is but the expense, uh, I mean, obviously it's really good. It, all of those rules, three plus melee, uh, nerve value going up, elite auras, like that's that's crazy stuff. But the fact that it's eighty points, you know, on top of it, that 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 could be a whole other unit. That could be all your artifacts if you've taken them in a list prior. So uh, there's a lot to think about there. Absolutely. What's your number four, Jeremy? So kind of playing off a little bit of that, my number four is there has been a conscious and up and down effort to make more armies and more play styles viable especially coming from a combined arms player i'm naturally that's my play style um and i love this addition uh because it really does focus on trying to find ways to make um more play styles viable but also too you're going to start seeing armies i think that were sort of outside the conversation of what was competitive quote unquote right and that you're going to see the the idea that every army has a place, and within that army there's multiple play styles. So for me, uh, it's coming true to that. Kings has such a wide variety of armies, but now let's make that wide variety of armies. Let's make them all have their own role and their own ability and their own, um, you know, r real competitive ways to build them. So that's my number four. Yeah, that's that's a that's a really big one. Um, combined arms, like you said, is is definitely getting a really good look. So many things that uh, even, you know, Mantic makes model models for they're they're not necessarily as viable. If you look at, you know, Northern Alliance and the, you know, bow upgrade packs that are available, those are those are lower on our sales totals because it's just, you know, the shooting there is not very good. Um, even if it's just volume of shooting, it may not even be their their ranged value. Uh, it's, it's an instance where those kind of things could use a little bit of benefit. I know that there's, what is it? The sisterhood scouts and like Vassalians, um, the, the dwarves have the Rangers, uh, elves have the twilight or, uh, not twilight and the, uh, glade stalkers. There's, there's so many, so many of those unit types that really could use a little bit of a, of a, of a bump and, and they're getting it. So, uh, it's, it's a way that it was tested really heavily, um, you guys can speak to that. There was there was tons of testing that went around this to make sure that it wasn't too much. Uh, and I think it's in a pretty good spot. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, so should we move on to third favorite changes? Kyle, do you want to yes. kick into yours? So I, I honestly had uh, the same thing that Jeremy did there, but uh, I can kind of branch off on that. Um, I, in some instances, army construction is a little bit easier to do. So we, we, we know... <laughs> Uh, ogre players have had some issues as with, you know, cheap unlocks, uh, they're getting a solution to that, so to speak. Twilight kin players, Jeremy, you know, this, I know this, uh, they had some issues okay. with unlocks just in the amount of, you know, 
irregular in it. It's it's not even necessarily removing irregular. It's some of these changes are just giving you more options to get additional units, whether that's in how certain units uh, allow things to be unlocked in the case of the ogres or uh, in the Twilight can just getting an entirely new unit that allows them uh, a, a, a really reasonable unlock option. So there, there's some good viability there and it's kind of sprinkled all over the book. Yep. What about okay. you, Matt? What, what's your number three? So <clears throat> my number three, I think if I speak a little more broadly, is just the bringing up of units that, you know, weren't quite uh, as good. So, for example, for me, who loves my dwarves, um, I think something like the Battle Driller really suffered moving from version two to version three. It went up heavily in points. And so getting that recognised that it's not seeing the table at all. And so it's had a significant drop and a and a change in its special rules. Um, not, to me, those specific unit changes to to adjust things, uh, you know, uh, which is traditionally what Clash of Kings is about, but, you know, remain in this book about bringing, bringing units back into play. So uh, that's my number three. What about you, Jeremy? So my number three, you guys mentioned it a little bit, is just the new spells and items, right? We love in the Clash of Kings pack all the tweaks, but it's also fun to see the new stuff, whether it's new spells or new items or new units, you know, and you've mentioned it of, of how the uh, spellcaster levels are going to matter. And there's kind of a new cool group of uh, spells that everyone can choose from. So I think it's so interesting whenever a Clash of Kings pack comes out where it's not only all these new units and adjustments, but it's how are they going to interact with the spells. And a lot of the spells sort of add this uh, flavor and, and, and sort of uh, interesting sort of um, uh, new gameplay mechanics and some new little interesting stuff. So that's sort of uh, my number three is all the stuff that you guys have already sort of mentioned to talked about ar around spells and magic items and arcane abilities and all of that sort of the magic of the game has gotten a little bit more interesting. Is there any particular item that you, you like there? The helm of the drunken Ram, uh, which is the new, we all remember the, the helm of the Ram item, but this item gives you the TC, but you no longer have pathfinder or strider. So, uh, pretty interesting in that, uh, you do get a little benefit from it, but you can't slap it on, you know, Pathfinder units to really abuse that that thunderous charge. So I think that item is is pretty interesting. Yeah, I like that too. And there's a in those kind of items, isn't there? Like it's not a it's not a pure gain item, which allows it to stay reasonably cheap. And I think that's the great thing about the the drunken ram item is that it, it's not expensive because you. You know, you, you need to put it on something basically that doesn't have Pathfinder or Strider. Otherwise, you're losing the value of that unit that you're paying for. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree. That's a great little example. Okay, number two, Kyle, what is your number two favorite thing? Really, the incredibly expanded keyword synergy. Um, you know, we, we wanted to have that stuff in place for third edition, but on the whole, it was relatively weak at launch. Uh, there, there's a lot more keyword synergy going on, you know, especially in the formations. We see that front and center in the formations. But uh, I, I've noticed one of my favorites is in Forces of Nature and just how the elementals in the Druid are getting some new synergy. Um, and in some cases, you know, like them, they had to, they had to have the elemental keyword added to the elementals. Um, so not only does it allow you to sort of develop a, a officially effective you know battle group from the keyword synergy but uh there's some really fun stuff that comes into play too you know especially formations and special rules that can pop up there or different auras uh which there are in abundance now so there's lots of new ways to use it um the auras that are coming in for things like elite or, or iron resolve or headstrong that sort of thing is just all over the place and it's all done by keywords what about you matt what's your number two my number two is what Kyle mentioned as his number five, I think, is these new um, new rules to help um, some of the Titan models. The changes you'll see coming, as, as Kyle said, in a pair of new special rules, um, that really is going to see those big centerpiece models back on the table. And I, and I think that's awesome. Yeah, so that, that would be my number two is because I really wanted to see those, those big models uh, getting better. 
And what I like about those rules is that they're not like overly complex. I think most of the stuff that's been added in this edition or this cock pack has all been to increase flavor and tweak things here and there, but there's been nothing that makes me feel like the game is moving away from its core, which is the minute to learn lifetime to master. I mean, was that your sense too, during the testing, Matt, that even with these changes, it's still staying true to that core of what makes Kings such a great game. Yeah, I agree because, and I think it's what does that for Kings is even though we now have this pair of new special rules is still, it is still a named rule that you can learn on the couple of pages of special rules that's applied equally. You know, it's not called something different in every army. So I think, and it is still simplistic, um, like you say, Jeremy. So I, I don't think it takes much. And because it's applied, I mean, Kyle said it's, um, you'll see it on more than just Titans, but primarily that's where it is. You kind of then get that idea of, all right, where should I look out for this rule? Um, so it's it's not really a gotcha, which is great. I mean, I think the other reason why I have to have this at number two is I have a belief that potentially the new special two special rules might have been the Aussie RC members' idea. Sorry to the others if that's incorrect, but I have a feeling that could have been the case and I'm very patriotic. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Aussie, 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 right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what about your number two, mate? So my number two is, and it's kind of been, we mentioned it a little bit here and there, is the idea of just finding ways to incorporate auras more, finding ways to incorporate more bracket one options, like a, a one you can take upgrade per army, uh, more ways to add flavor, um, so for me, uh, and this is a little juicy t- tidbit uh, we can share with you guys today, is the change to to my my special lady, the Abbess. She now has a rule where you can upgrade her with a Fury Aura for Sisterhood only. So again, that's really interesting. You're giving her a little bit flavor. You're in, you're, you're you're putting another aura in there. You're helping that aura. Not only is it giving her flavor, it's helping out. Uh, some units that haven't really been used in the uh, Basalian army, really sisterhood and, and giving them fury. Uh, so that's just one thing that, uh, that she, that's a, a good example of, but that you're going to see sort of throughout this pack is how can we increase something, not just in a, it's now just better by X amount. Instead, it's, it's better because we've added this little bit of flavor. Are, are there's been a real intrinsic link between the buffs that you're going to see in this pack with the actual flavor and narrative of the armies. So yeah, things I, just make sense. I, I think that's a really good point is not only does the Abbas get a buff and not only is it flavorable, uh, flavor, <laughs> flavorful, not flavorable, not only is it flavorful, but it is also aimed at units around her that weren't seeing much table time. So, you know, for, for the price of whatever, you're almost getting a two or three, you know, um, improvement in the in the um, in the army list. And that really seems to that kind of carries through, right? Where they've done re- these really selective buffs, but they've done it in ways to where they're getting a lot from as little as possible. So how can we get the most bang for our bucks from as little rules as possible, so that we can keep the game streamlined, but still make the changes that we want to make. Um, I mean, that, that, can you speak to that, Kyle? I mean, that really, as a playtester, that really seems to me uh, to be one of your guys' missions. Yeah, no, that was absolutely one of the directives, and, and you hit the nail on the head with it. Uh, flavor in, in the sense of let's, let's make these armies feel the way that people expect them to feel. We don't want it to be, you know, different colored uh, chess pieces you know you got white and black we don't want red and green and blue but these really need to feel like their own thing and when you do that uh with special rules and and really kind of separate them i'm sure you guys will really get into that with the glade stalker episode because to me that's a, a phenomenal you know example of how the flavor of each army is represented in one unit this is incredibly similar amongst all the armies that use them but now with just a tiny single special rule tweak, like each of them has a completely new captured feeling that that faction represents. Yeah. 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 I totally agree. Um, all right, Carl, give us your numero uno, your number one favorite change from Clash of Kings 2022. 
Well, for me, it's it really kind of comes around to getting a lot of things back that people just really enjoyed playing with in in second edition that maybe got taken away and are and are going to be you know back in the fun of third edition. So in some instances, that's going to be a unique upgrade. You know, something that uh, Jeremy was just mentioning, which those are all over the place, and there's so many fun ones. There's new ones as well, but uh, in some cases, it's it's a returning favorite. I, I know I dropped a hint at like things like the herd uh, and the stampede getting a special reappearance, um, and it's going to be done as an upgrade, a unit upgrade option. So things like the Wiltfather are, you know, all these units are going to be coming back. And I think that a lot of people are going to be really happy. There's some things coming for Empire of Dust that I think a lot of people probably missed. Um, there, there's so many options now for additional flavor, like Jeremy just said, but with a, a slight little upgrade option that um, we didn't have before. So it just feels great now to have all those flexible options within armies that give you a taste of what that army really represents. And that's right, people. You heard Kyle say stampede. So I think herd players, you know, just swooned everywhere, Kyle. You've made a few herd players, you know, the three well, of them that exist, very, very happy. Yeah, Keith won master, yeah. so I guess we gotta we gotta give <laughs> yeah, him the benefit. Yeah, that showed how horrible that army is. We gotta make sure <laughs> right. get it. Get that, that army straight here. But but I, I agree with you, Kyle. I really like that idea. I mean, it wasn't in my top five of, you know, um, injecting flavor through a, a single unit. And you don't have to create a whole new unit, right? It's just an upgrade. And um, that that is sprinkled through a number of the army lists. So I think that's fantastic. Mm. Um, so my number one is, uh, you guys have already mentioned it, but it is the inspiring change. And the reason for me that this is number one is because I think it's going to take quite a while for this to shake out in lists. And I think we're going to see a lot more variety than we used to. I think the initial thoughts are that we might see those scoring, inspiring units. So like your, your various ogre characters and things become more powerful and more seen on the table. But I actually think that over time we'll see more individuals being used and just like just little combinations that we we didn't see and that will hopefully, you know, just make lists look completely different. And also I think I've been playing with Trident Realms on UB a lot recently. And I think that's one of the armies where it really benefits. They've got all these characters that only inspire you know, basically one or two units. So when you're paying for the inspiring, you're not you're not getting a lot out of it. Um, but you know, now your Thule Aquamage inspires everything. Your Thule Mythican support inspires everything. Your um, your Naiad Envoy already did, but you know, your your Riverguard Sentinel. So there's just so much variety now in in what you can take, and I think um, I think we'll see way more. And and I, I think that's great for the game. Awesome. So my number one change, and I'm not sure if it's a change, ex exactly a change, but it's to me, it's the thing that's like resonated the most with me is just how effing sword clash fun the games are. I mean, I, I remember uh, finishing up at uh, Masters and then going straight into testing. And I think my first week and a half of testing, I played like 12 games or something crazy like that of just like pounding games in every every night and mm. there is so much fun and even when like losing the um the flavor of the armies the different builds the the new units or the new spells nothing felt overwhelming and it just felt interesting i mean we had so many games where at the last minute it's like oh my gosh i can't believe this happened you know and and kings has that as it is but to me this feels just like the game I love turned up to 11, right? Where it's from all the people who've always loved Kings but wanted just a little bit more sparkle, a little bit more jazz hands, you know? This edition to me feels like, and I know you've mentioned it before, Kyle, but it feels like the full promise of third edition is, yeah. in, is in this pack. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that, um, Jeremy. It's been so hard to play with the standard rules now. I think what we saw with the actual rule book is we saw a tidying up, right? Of third to second of things that didn't work as well as they should have. And so overall it improved the gameplay experience, but we didn't really see that massive injection of flavor. Um, but now we're gonna get it, you know, and now it's feeling like next level fun. Yeah, no, I totally agree on that. I just, I just think, you know, this is 
a more flavorable experience. And, you know, I'm sure there will be things that aren't quite perfect because a lot of change happened in a short period of time. But that's why we have this book every year. Yeah, yeah it's, absolutely. it's not like it's it's written in stone, right? I mean, this is the addition. This is the update that a lot of people spent have spent a lot of weeks and gain and hours. And we'll talk more about that in the playtest episode. But it's not something that's just been like willy nilly done. There's been a lot of work that's gone into this. You know, people are people, so maybe there'll be some stuff you like or don't like or whatever. But I can only attest to just how much fun I've had playing in the new pack and like you said to go back and play the old edition feels like it's like it's like watching technicolor and going to black and white is what it feels like to me yeah, so i can't do it i honestly can't i don't have anyone to play you know clash of kings post reveal books or games with um and, and it's like oh well i'll just wait <laughs> it, it's it's really good Having said that, there's been a little bit of speculation online recently about, oh, you know, I feel nervous about list building with this, you know, with these changes coming out. You're not going to see any of your units go bad. You know, it's been said before, it's a it's a no-nerf Clash of Kings. Um, I think you can still list build with confidence and that in terms of the list building phase, you know, yeah, some of your units might change, but you're going to add to them. You're going to add to your army lists because other units become better you're not going to take away from your army list because other units become worse. Yeah, I mean, I think you'll still be able to play your stuff. It's exactly what you said. It's going to be a reason to add more stuff to your list. Maybe you don't have this painted. Okay, I'm going to paint up a couple of these units because they're good now. But like you said, nothing ha uh, has been nerfed really. So um yeah, I wouldn't worry about it. No, so I like I'm building lists now for 2022, and and the biggest difference for me is the inspiring change. You know, in terms of the actual construction. Sure, I might look at formations or something down the track, but that's that's a tweak in your list, right? Whereas now, I think the biggest construction change is is in that inspiring stuff. So yeah, and I think it's just like you might decide, oh, I want to play with this now. So I don't think anyone's toys are going to get thrown out. No, if and anything, I think they might get better. Yeah, and I think for the, the the armies that do have more substantial changes that we sort of talked about a little bit that maybe weren't as viable as before, I think those changes are, again, not taking away from the units that were already good in that army. Those units are still good. It's more of adding you more more unlockable units or, or different other things. So it's not going to take away from what you already have for that but some of those armies may change and how they're constructed but it, it, it's not going to be out of nowhere it's going to be they're changing because they had serious unlocking issues before or they were you know they weren't competitive or it, it's not going to be out of nowhere i don't think mm. yep i totally agree and and you know people talked about halflings they see the halfling list and they freak out and they think you know what is all this craziness and you see a lot of comments and responses that say, well, this is a, you know, a Clash of Kings balanced army and halflings are fine. I mean, even in the current edition, in my opinion, halflings are, are fine. Uh, when, when you consider the, the tweak to Clash of Kings, um, you start to see that they're just more in the same line that everything else is. Yeah, I mean, it was funny to see that, right? When they're like, oh, they look so good. And all the playtesters who aren't saying anything are, wait till you see all the other armies. Everything is good. <laughs> Everything is good. And uh, wait till you see the big secrets. Yeah. <laughs> I was like that Lego, the song from the Lego movie. Everything is awesome. You know, that's what we <laughs> Um, well, look, Kyle, we really appreciate you giving up your time to join us tonight. Is is there anything you want to add before we go or anything you want to add, Jeremy? For me, it's uh, obviously the the actual work pitch. Make sure you pre-order the book. It's pretty important. <laughs> it's important to us. It's important to know, engage feedback of, of how much effort goes into this. If, if you want to continue to see uh, the kind of effort that went into this book and, and the attention that goes in the King's War, your your thank you and your appreciation for that is by ordering the Clash of Kings 22 book. Yeah, and then I'll just say make sure you tune in to Countercharge over the next uh, three Wednesdays. Uh, each Wednesday in October, we're going to be having an episode uh, coming out that's sort of going to look at a different uh, aspect of the Clash of Kings pack. We're going to look a little bit at the testing process, we're going to talk a little bit in more detail about one of the units, which 
if you listen to this episode carefully, you might discover which unit that is that we're going to talk about. And then we also have a big surprise plan for our last episode coming out at the end of the month. So, yeah, just make sure you tune in uh, to Wednesdays. We're going to be having RC members. We're going to be having playtesters. We're going to be having a bunch of different people who all took part in the Clash of Kings 2022 testing come on over the next few weeks. And I just want to say a special thank you to Mantic, uh, to Kyle, to... Uh, to Rob, uh, Rob Berman, and all, all the guys working on the sort of uh, pre-Clash of the Kings 22 uh, excitement and hype, you know, we're really happy to, to be a part of that. You know, we've always had a great relationship with Mantic, and I know Matt and I as playtesters are really excited to try to uh, bring our perspective as show hosts, but also our pr- perspectives as people who actually worked on the game. So if you don't like anything, when the book comes out, you can blame Matt because every idea that's bad in there was his suggestion. So, yeah. Absolutely. And I will take all your feedback and ignore it. It just will feel <laughs> it will feel him. Next thing he'll be like 7 5 400 pounds of muscle just fueled by that. <laughs> but that joking aside, what I want to leave you guys with is uh, just how excited I this is probably the most excited I've been for Kings since when I first started playing all those, you know, back in 2016. I think I really, truly, and I'm not blowing smoke up Kyle's rear end, even though it's a nice one. I'm not blowing any smoke. Yeah. I, I mean, enjoy it. Yeah. This, this really is just so much fun, awesome stuff in this book. I totally agree. I can say it all day. You know, it, that's that's my job. But when you guys say it, it, it actually means something. Yeah. All right. Well, we might leave it there. Kyle, would you like to take us out? Yeah, guys. Thanks for listening and keep countercharging. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons. Yeah, yeah, you don't know how much I'm holding myself back. Okay, got to slide into the DMs. I I know that'll get edited out. Uncle Rob will find it if we don't.